Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measures. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break, and as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello everybody out there and welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Now, that's as chirpy as it's going to get this week, so be prepared for 45 minutes of three incredibly pissed off Aberdeen fans moaning about a, a semi-final loss. Miss me this week, as always, uh, Richard Hayes back. How are you, Richard? I'm okay. I mean, it's Thursday night now, Martin, so a lot of the rage has, uh, has dissipated. I, I'm often left cold by the Champions League, but I happened to go out and watch that game last night, and it just reminded me of how brilliant football can be, I suppose. So, so I'm feeling a little bit better now. No way we could have done this on Monday night. Oh, absolutely not. I know, but it is my mission to try and get you to boil over a little bit here as well. So we'll we'll try and bring some of that bring some of that anger back. Um, also joining us with, with us this week, we'd like to welcome back to the show Christy Keenan. How are you doing, Christy? I've been better, man. I've been better. Yeah, yeah. We all have. But that's what that's what this week's going to be about. It's about um, it's about tearing off that band aid and opening the wound and then getting getting it all out there. Uh, now, Richard, we spoke last week about how the, how the lineup would go what we would come with. What we didn't realise was McGinn was going to be out injured and he will miss the rest of the season as well, which is um, which is very unfortunate. Um, I suppose the, que- the, the, the million-dollar question is, do you think we, McGinn has got it right with the starting lineup? Well, I, I think the first thing to say is, for all that we obviously and naturally talked up the routes to potential victory on here last week's show, the likeliest outcome was always going to be that we would lose, and I think it was probably as likely that we'd win as that we'd get the sort of thumping that we ended up getting. But it was a particularly sore one to take. In fact, the whole day could really be described as ugly. I mean, some ugly challenges and a pretty ugly atmosphere at both ends and a, and a very ugly Aberdeen performance. It, it lacked leadership and it needed those senior players that did play to be a lot more assured, a lot more convincing than they were. And the Namagin use just felt like another blow, maybe a blow too far. Uh, you know, we could quite conceivably have lost just as comfortably with McGinn and the team, but with the form McGinn's been in lately, he was a potential match winner. Whereas, you know, Greg Stewart or Stevie May, whoever it was that uh, came in to the starting 11, that had been ear- uh, the place that had been earmarked for McGinn, they have not looked like match winners in an Aberdeen shirt. You know, I'd be perfectly happy to never see Greg Stewart play another minute for, for the Dons, and I'm Frankly, heading that way with Stevie May as well. I think that's uh, well. Tell you what, we'll get right on to Greg Stewart just now. Um, Casey, I'm going to uh, Christy. Sorry, I'm going to throw you. I'm going to throw you a, a softball here. Are we getting anything from Greg Stewart that we wouldn't have gotten from Scott Wright? Uh, probably not. No, no, that's a fair comparison. I guess you could say Greg Stewart has got the the jersey that that Scott Wright coveted, playing either as the 
main attacking midfielder, the second striker, or a wide man. Uh, Greg Stewart's been poor for us. A big disappointment. Weirdly, he was disappointing last season, but because he ended it fairly well with us, I think we were all uh, a bit more stoked to see him back than uh, than maybe it warranted. Uh, but he's done absolutely nothing this time back, uh, this time around. And I don't really envisage that changing, to be honest, especially if the rumours are true and he's going to Rangers. It looks like he's more interested in securing his gig for next season than uh, doing much in a red shirt. Big letdown. Big, big letdown. I mean, there's been a vocal tendency to, to blame the manager for his displays. And it's obvious that Stevie Clark wants to get a real tune out of him at Kilmarnock. But it, it's not like Aberdeen is the only place in his career where he failed. He got his big move to Birmingham on the back of a couple of good seasons at Dundee. He played a few times at the outset there. And obviously he's hamstrung by the constant change of manager you get at a championship club in Birmingham, and no exception. But he was training with the under-18s by the time that um, he ended up on loan with us in the first time. And it was the same situation um, in December, January this year, when, you know, you would have thought after his performances at Kilmarnock in the first half, Birmingham themselves might have thought about taking a look. So it's not just that Aberdeen he's failed. And why is that? You know, maybe Steve Clark is a far superior manager, a far superior tactician, motivator, whatever. But I'm not sure the record really shows that in the SPFL. In terms of the fit, Greg Stewart was clearly a much better fit for Kilmarnock and Dundee than he's ever been for Aberdeen wherever he's played. And, and personal responsibility has to come into it too. I'm not saying that a good manager can't make a huge difference, but we have a good manager. So to Killy, like the the difference, as far as I'm concerned, is not the manager. It's the fact that this guy, what is he like, 28 or something? I mean, he's he's no kid, and he's not stepped up. He's not taken that responsibility uh, and made himself indispensable to the team. And I think that speaks more about him than it does the management. I know that there's plenty of anti-McInnes people out there who will blame you know, Greg Stewart's relative failure squarely at McInnes's feet, and you know, there might be some validity in that, but certainly um, I would be more inclined to put it down to the fact that he's been given the opportunity many times and he's not stepped up. I think there was one moment um, on Sunday that really summed up Greg Stewart's time with us, it was, you know, we'd been basically pinned in our own half, and about 20 minutes in, we finally looked like we're, you know, we've, we've got the ball in an advanced position, we're going to break on them. Ball's played out wide to Greg Stewart, about 5, 10 yards inside the Celtic half, bit of space in front of him, and he just lets the ball roll under his foot tonight for a throw in. And th- that sort of lack of composure, lack of concentration, just really summed up his, his time here since January. Before the the inc- so we'll say the incident started in the game, um, Richard, without really causing them any issues, which we didn't for the whole ninety minutes, to be fair, um, I thought that at least we were were kind of competing in the game. Um, you mentioned Stevie May earlier on there, um, and that's a, a totally fair comment. I take that on board. Um, I thought that he was at least given no, he was at least giving Brown some trouble. But, you know, we know find that when Scott Brown gets space, he starts quarterbacking. I know, and spraying balls about, I know he gets lots of room. But I thought that Stevie May at least was kind of getting close to him, stopping him having an influence on the game. Um, 
but but we really we, at least we competed for, for a short period of the game before it all went to shit, didn't it? Well, um, Ferguson and Campbell together, and then playing Mayoff Cosgrove, it was it was brave, I suppose. I mean, the safer option would have been to either start with Gleeson ahead of Campbell and get at least, at least a bit of experience in there, or even play Gleeson and Campbell and ask Ferguson to get closer to Sam Cosgrove. I'm not sure you could say it worked on any level, though. In fact, it nearly completely backfired within the first few minutes when Celtic's centre-half was able to wander forward from his own half on challenge. It took a tremendous save from Joe Lewis to keep his level. We were far from good. Well, it was still 11 versus 11. But I suppose, arguably, prior to the red, we were probably having our best spell of the match and beginning to get a little bit further up the pitch the likelihood is that we would have still lost the tie because I, I didn't see enough from us um, yeah. in the first half hour to, to suggest that we were capable of causing Celtic defensive problems. But, you know, we have won a few games this season simply by repelling that first wave and keeping things close enough that the opposition start to get nervy or run out of ideas. And obviously, the red card and the, the readjustments that followed that put the, put the kibosh in any chances of that happening. Christy, we'll talk about Dominic Ball. Um, I mean, the first booking, I think we'll have to say, the first booking is beyond soft. You know fine that he is going to have a tough game um, with with the, the talent that Celtic have on the wings. Um, especially as does that James Forrest obviously got booked for diving earlier on in the game. So you know fine that they're going to be they're going to be looking to go down easily, uh, get soft bookings like that. And it was a very very soft booking for him. Can he have any complaints about the second? Oh, definitely not. No, I mean it's a clear, at best it's a yellow. It could have been a straight red. It was um, very dangerous, very reckless. He shouldn't have done it. Um, being on a yellow, he shouldn't have done it full stop because it was a you know people say the ball was there to be won. I don't think it was. Um, it was just it was just daft. The first yellow was soft, but the second one. Um, he could well have been a straight red. He's only got himself to blame. Yeah, I think for the second Scottish Cup semi-final on the road, Don Ball really reiterated why he can't truly be trusted at right back. Despite some very solid performances there in the weeks beforehand, you have to uh, say. It's first yellow is harsh. The ball's gone out of play, which rather makes a mockery of Thompson's gesture um, after he brings the card out to say that Hayes was moving into uh, a lot of space behind Dominic Ball. Well, there might have been a lot of space behind Dominic Ball, but the ball had gone out of play. Uh, the reality that uh, is of that booking is that James Forrest got a fairly harsh booking a few minutes earlier, and this was simply Craig Thompson evening things up. You know, cheap booking for Celtic equals cheap booking for us. The second yellow, yeah, I can, I can totally accept that. He's late to the ball. Take out the fact if that was head-to-head, if, if that had been leg-to-leg, he'd been leaving himself open to a booking, albeit it was in a nothing area of the pitch. His elbows aren't raised. The ball is there, but it is reckless. But I can also see why some would have an issue with it and some people would want to challenge it. But, yeah, for me, the second one's, the second one's a, a bit of a stick-on. It's, uh, it's 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 careless rather than aggressive, really, isn't it, um, Christy? I mean, he, like Richard says there, he didn't really need to go for that ball. No, he, he shouldn't have gone for it. It was uh, it was reckless. Yeah, I mean, they're they're good friends. Uh, I saw some people, some Celtic fans on Twitter, trying to make out that it was, you know, he was out to get Christy, which is um, 
a million miles off the truth. They're they're very good friends. They were as as far as I'm aware, they were um, as tight as you can get when they were at Pataudry together. So there was no question about it being malicious. But that's irrelevant. I I think that the um, malice part gets played up too much in football in general. I mean, if the challenge is late and reckless and dangerous, then it's it's a clear booking. It's maybe not uh, done with any intent from Don, but I tell you what it is: it's incredibly stupid. Yeah. Well, as uh, you know, as Christy pointed out, to go in to even go into that on a yellow card, if the ball had been on the ground, he would have been, as I say, leaving himself open to a yellow, albeit nothing away of the pitch. But it, it's about that composure, about that game management of in, for individual players. We did it so well in the quarter final. You know, there were, there were some nonsense bookings handed out in that game, but we ended up with eight separate players getting a yellow and no one picking up a red. So, you know, there was a rotation of it, there was sense to it. No one was exposing themselves to uh, to a daft challenge when they were already on a yellow. That sort of composure, that sort of game sense, just kind of went out the window on on Sunday. And so, of course, we react to, we react to the red card. There obviously has to be a change made. We see Stevie May went off for Mikey Devlin. Christy, what was your thought at the time? I mean, I thought Stevie May. No, I thought it was it was harsh on Stevie May to go off and go off when he did. You could make cases for Cosgrove or Stewart to go off. I mean, what what what, what, what was your thought at the time anyway? My thought at the time was uh, that's one hundred percent the right player to go off. Um, not one hundred percent the right player to come on, but definitely he had to hook Stevie May purely because. Um, we we had to go for it, you know. This is a cup semi final. You get nothing for a one nil defeat. Like Greg Stewart and um, Sam Cosgrove offer far more in terms of the possibility of winning the game than Stevie May does. I I do get a wee bit annoyed that you know in the build up to the match, all you hear is um, Don's fans saying. Go on, let's just get into their faces. Let's just give it a go. Let's let's not match up to them. Let's try and win this game, sort of thing. And then we make a fairly aggressive sub. <laughs> if that doesn't sound too ridiculous, but given the circumstances, it was a fairly aggressive sub by keeping um, our two biggest attacking threats on, um, as well as Conor McLennan. So, yeah, I just think that um, we're being a bit results orientated if we if we say that it was the wrong switch to make because at the time, based on the evidence that we had and based on the way that the game was playing, um, I think it was the right switch to make, albeit with a <laughs> pretty horrendous outcome. Uh, that said, the bigger question was should should it have been Devlin who came on? Devlin has been god-awful for us since his injury. Absolutely shocking for us since his injury. Um, and I think... Um, I mean, we weren't exactly full of options, but, I mean, it didn't exactly inspire much confidence when I saw him coming on, especially the prospect of him playing out of position. I mean, arguably, there was maybe only five genuine subs on the bench on Saturday. It's it's arguable whether Ethan Ross or Mikko Vartanen would have been put on in any circumstances, unless we were 4-0 up with a few minutes to go. But the question that obviously arises, just how unfit and or bad is Greg Halford? He was meant to be the right-back cover, rather than putting a centre-half out there. I just And he's not been seen other than sat on his arse on the bench since he signed. 
I don't think he's been seen since long before he joined us either, has he? Since his <laughs> well, last game, I mean, it's it's well over a year ago, I think. Yeah, I, I think he played some games for Cardiff uh, last season, and that's been it until he pitched up at Pitodri. And uh, you know, I have seen him with my own eyes; he does exist. Um, <laughs> but that's about as much as I can tell you about him. I, I, I was really surprised that that wasn't the automatic change because. We've got a, a well-known history of sticking centre-half site right back, and it really ends well. Gerald Eiffel, Tynecastle, anyone? Oh, good God, though. Come on. <laughs> Come on, don't do that to us. Um, to be fair, if we're going to play that game, Tommy Hoban did all right at right back for us a couple of times. Makes you yearn for the good old days of, I don't know, David Lilly or something, doesn't it? Let's not get carried away. Yeah, let's not. Okay, so um, so Richard, well, you know, fine. I love a cliche on this podcast. So here's my here's my big one for this week. So we then concede, of course, at the worst possible time. I'm sure the plan was down to ten men, try to get half time, get in the dressing room. The manager can then adjust the plan for the game. Um, instead, what happens is, in reaction to going down to ten, we sit we sit deeper and deeper. James Forrest, you know, is a very talented footballer. Completely turns Max Low and. It is a bit of a wonder strike, you know. Joel Lewis, there's nothing he could do about it. Well, it's it's funny, isn't it, that uh, the, the comparison has obviously been made between the Don Ball challenge and Ryan Christie and the challenge from Boyata and Gary Mackay Stephen in the League yes. Cup final. Um, but the thing that really brought the League Cup final to mind for me um, at that point wasn't actually the challenge; it was the fact that we knew there would be six or seven minutes added on to the end of the half, and you were just thinking. History is going to repeat itself here, isn't it? And Celtic are going to score in that uh, extra period, and lo and behold, they did. And I think the thing to say about both the first and the third goals is that, yeah, there could be more pressure on the on the player taking the strike, but the fact is, James Forrest and um, Tom Rogic are very, very good footballers at Scottish football level. They are capable of scoring goals like that far more often than anybody who plays for Aberdeen would be capable of finding the target from that position. And that's just what that extra money buys you, the quality to be able to have a moment like that. No one really there to kind of meet uh, Forrest as he comes inside, and it's a good goal, it's a good finish. And from that point, game was gone. Game was absolutely gone. And I actually left at half-time on, um, on Sunday, and I don't want a medal for this, but leaving early is something I hardly ever do. Yeah, that's now two semi-finals against Celtic at Hamden where I've gone after 45 minutes. It was just blatantly obvious to me that the game was gone and it would be about, at best, damage limitation in the second half. I just didn't see any plan, any hope with the players we had on the pitch of turning that around. And I, as I say, it had been such an ugly day up to that point and obviously it turned a lot uglier in the second half which I ended up watching in the Ivory Hotel See, well, um, obviously we're getting to the second half, come out at 1-0 uh, unfortunately we know we then find ourselves further behind um, after just after the hour mark um, through Mikey Devlin's caught sleeping kind of at the back post um, and just commits a silly foul doesn't he, uh, Christy puts puts his hand on hand on the back and he kind of trips up the lad as well. Um, there's really it was just there's no need for that, isn't there? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It, the, the one that it brought to mind, I don't know if you guys recall this off your top of it, off of the top of your head. But do you remember when we went to Celtic Park, um, what maybe four years ago or something, when they were under Dyla and we 
I think we were three points behind them and we're at Celtic Park and we were in great form and, and we had a legit shot beating them to the title and I think Van Dyke maybe or Denier maybe scored just before half time and then in the second half um, Mark Reynolds just gave away a ridiculously cheap penalty uh, when their winger was going nowhere and it just immediately sprung to mind for me that that I don't know if it's because Celtic are so much better and they just press and press and sort of you know like almost force the mistakes out of you by just slowly applying more and more pressure um, and turning the screw or if our players just get anxious but some of the decision making against them in recent years um it's just beggar's belief and the Devlin one, my goodness, I just honestly don't know what he was thinking. Um everything about he it's like it's like he um tried to cover one big mistake with another. You know, he let the ball he kind of ducked under the ball, let Hayes in behind him, and then instead of just cutting his losses and, and trusting Joe Lewis to make the save, he went and hauled down Hayes as well. So it's just um, you know, double whammy. Oh my goodness, I was absolutely raging at that. And Richard, it's another it's another thing that Joe Lewis can do nothing about it as well. Though he, he, it was it was a great another good penalty, um, you know, right in the right in the side net. And no, Lewis is there. You no, know, he made a couple of good saves during the day, um, during the game. Sorry, but you know, he was he was beaten, and it was he, you know it's a, it's quite harsh on him that he's conceded three goals for the game he had because I don't think he could do anything about the goals. No, there were three good finishes, um, and it, it could have been quite a few more, frankly. It, it, it's a really, really good save, I want to reiterate, <clears throat> that he makes from uh, their centre-half. Is it ben- Was it Benkovic or was it the other one? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it was Benkovic, yeah. But it's a really no, good... not Benkovic, sorry, Simunovic. Simunovic, OK. Um, it's, it's a really good stop in, a, in, a, in an area which is difficult for a goalkeeper to get down to, and you know I think a lot of the Celtic support there on the day thought it was in, um, but he he just got a really solid hand to it, and it's a it's a fine save, and yeah, obviously if we were going to have if we were going to get something out of it, Joe Lewis was probably going to have to have a really good day, and I don't think he can be he can be held responsible for any of the goals. Absolutely not. Um, you might think that uh, the Rodic one is it's along the ground. Could he be getting it? But it is really well placed right in the corner. So. Um, as the penalty kick was, we've, he's already saved one penalty kick against Celtic at hand in this season. It was too much to ask for a second. Yeah, he was about the only one, I think, who emerged with his reputation untarnished because pretty much everyone else on the park in a red jersey was garbage. You'd obviously allow Campbell and McLennan a, a, a little bit of leeway, but the other senior players, even those that maybe haven't played regularly, they're, they're senior members of the squad, and, and I didn't see enough from them, frankly. Um, Completely agree, yeah. Especially apart when from maybe Lewis Ferguson. I thought Lewis Ferguson, apart from that, <laughs> until it all went badly. Well, well come on. Well, come on to that. But I was a way to say yeah. that. Obviously, when you're pairing Campbell and Ferguson in midfield, you really need the other guys to step up and, and yeah. try and protect him a little bit more. And it just didn't happen. But Ferguson was definitely getting stuck in, which was presumably what he was asked to do. 
I was quite yeah. surprised up to the point of his red card that he hadn't been booked for persistent fouling, actually, because I think there must have been about five or six by that point. But the red card, it's it's unnecessary. It's a little bit nasty. And it shouldn't come as that much of a surprise as he's had the most bookings of anyone in the Dawn squad this season. So it's not like he's uh, without form in that front. But, um, you know, sometimes that sort of edge is what makes it... What, separates a good player from a really good player so uh, you know if he's a guy that needs that in his game if he's if he's a guy that's going to maybe pull it out once a season then then so be it uh, we've all been a little bit astounded by what Lewis Ferguson has been able to to bring to the Aberdeen team this season at such a young age and um, it, it really is the first blot I suppose on his copybook Definitely, he's uh, he's been terrific for us overall um, I thought yeah I thought he played fairly well uh, certainly, comparatively, I uh, thought he was our best outfield player until the red, um, and he's had a very good season for us. We'll get over this one. We'll forgive him this one. It was a scandalous tackle. Though. It was absolutely terrible tackle. I thought at the time, uh, just watching it on telly on Red TV, uh, I thought at the time it was a it was a soft red, and then I saw the replay, and then Jesus, no, that was a terrible tackle. Yeah, we looked we looked all day like we were a team that was missing four senior starting players, and then obviously to combine it with losing the players that we did and, and losing the coaching staff that we did as well, obviously, um, was just uh, was way too much to to try and recover from. So yeah, so of course we find us after the red card, the come with the free kick, and we find ourselves three 0 down. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you now, Christy, as well, because uh, that was that was enough for me. Um, I'd le- I left after that point as well. Um, did anything good happen after that? No, honestly, it it got to the point when I was just rooting for something to cheer, you know, like a corner, a a break, a half chance, a shot, a goal, anything. Just give us something. I was watching the game with an Italian friend of mine who I've purely, purely um, bullied into becoming a Dons fan. (laughs) And the poor guy, Matteo, you know, he's he's an eternal optimist. Um, But so he was, he was being, come on, mate, you know, it's not over. I was like, man, we're we're three nil down with ten men. I guess. Against the team with eight times the budget, this, this game's over. But you know, we toughed it out. We watched the whole ninety minutes. Um, don't know why, frankly, but um, yeah, it was shocking. Nothing good happened after the third goal. Nothing good happened before the third goal. Nothing good happened. <laughs> I think the only good thing that did happen is that, in a way, is that it was only three. And you know, I, as I said, I left at halftime because I. I felt it could get really, really quite ugly and three, and the whole manner of it has been quite bruising, I think for every Aberdeen fan, absolutely, but it, it could have been a lot worse to be perfectly honest um, I suppose the the one positive is that they didn't truly, really open us up even when we had ten men they get the goals from a couple of long range efforts and the, and the penalty kick um, I thought one vaguely interesting thing towards the end was the, the sort of James Wilson sub. James Wilson now is getting like four minutes every game as some kind of punishment, it seems, from Dirk McInnes. <laughs> um, just, you know, look how shit you have been. You can't actually make an impact on this Aberdeen team. Um, just, just bizarre. Honestly, the Wilson one feels like... like uh... 
terms of loan agreement sort of uh, yeah. footnote, doesn't yeah. it? Like yeah, he needs to appear in the majority of matches in order to get the discount on his wages or some such garbage. Because um, I mean, in the, the the poor well, I say the poor fellow. He's not done anything um, positive for us since the Livingston game around Christmas, but he's. Um, I mean, he's he's offered nothing, but he's getting these little couple of minute cameos. What an embarrassment that whole signing's been. It has indeed, yeah. Um, Richard, you just alluded to it there. We'll just uh, just finally on the on this absolute shambles of a game. Um, yeah, you say you you say the manner of the defeat is the hardest thing to take. I think you know, no shots on target, only two attempts. Um, we didn't really give Celtic a game. Christy, the worst thing is that, no, if we're being honest, Selick didn't really need to play that well. It's not the first time we've turned up at, uh, turned up at Hamden and just taken a bit of a pace in. No, no, last season's, last season's semi-final was, uh, was against Motherwell, and we know, no, this was, this was worse. Yeah, yeah, this was worse. We had a similar, like, circumstances were somewhat similar, uh, in that, if I recall rightly, Shea was out, Kenny McLean was out, Shinny yeah. was out. I think we had one more, I can't remember, one more major player out. Um, God, I can't for the life of me remember who it was. But, yeah, it was similar uh, this time round, obviously, without Shinny, without Niall, without Shea. Um, again, am I forgetting someone? I feel like I am. GMS, yeah, GMS. Um, so, you know, circumstances were were fairly similar. The, the Celtic game in the League Cup final a couple of seasons back... Uh, the 3-0 defeat when optimism was fairly high from us. That's the closest equivalent I can think of in terms of um, just not, I don't know, just just in no way showing up. There's been three times on the McInnes at Hamden that we've really, that we've really just been god-awful, that we've really just not shown up at all. And, you know, we'll give him some credit because... Um, you know, we're doing all right to be getting to Hamden so much given how starved of it we were for so long. Uh, but the fact that, the fact that we just did not turn up at all yet again for the third time in, in the space of a few seasons, the space of two and a bit seasons, uh, is a, is a big worry. I do actually think you're being, a, you're being a little bit harsh on Celtic there because I actually thought they did maybe not play well for the whole game, but I thought they started really well. They got us on the back foot straight away. That's Our true, use yeah. of the ball was absolutely diabolical, but I, I think it was the fact that we start, you know, they started so well and that fed into our nervousness and obviously the fact that we were missing so many key players again. Um, so no, I thought they started well, but yeah, there was definitely signs after 25, 30 minutes that they were beginning to run out of a few ideas, but but from that point on, we definitely made things easy for them. The thing that really frustrates, um, again, I think it's fairly similar to that League Cup final capitulation against the, the 3-0 game, is that it was Forrest with a wonder goal again because you know, you're know you down to 10 men, you have to get bodies behind the ball, um, and you're kind of thinking, OK, we'll take the gamble of, of letting them shoot from distance because generally Joe Lewis... Um, is very reliable and of course just statistically most shots from distance are going to go miles off uh, so it's so frustrating that they get that wonder goal and then as soon as they get that I mean the game was just dead as you say so much so Richard that you 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 know you just called it immediately and left I mean it's um, so frustrating because it could have been so different uh, but Celtic 
you know, as I say, looked like, well, let's not say they were running out of ideas, but they sent their, their pressure was far from relentless. They looked very, very good at the beginning, and then there was a lull. They got that goal, and then that was that. So that was the Lee, the Scottish Cup semi-final against Celtic. Let's agree, gentlemen, um, to never speak of this again. Deal. 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 Right. right. But, but if, only, so if, if only it were that easy, you know what I mean? This is, this, <laughs> this is another one which will be brought up any time a discussion about the manager goes on, any time, you know, the discussion about not winning a trophy goes on, any time the record against the bigger teams is brought up. And it, it's, um, I mean... Sunday is in no way going to make anyone change their opinion on the manager. There is this sort of hardcore, um, very vocal element who who want him out. And obviously, they're not going to change their mind regardless of what happened. We could have won 5-0 on Sunday and they wouldn't change their mind. Equally, I don't think the circumstances and the caveats around what happened on Sunday will make will have tipped anyone into that camp. Everyone has their own tipping point in terms of the enthusiasm about the team and there's no denying that there's a certain complacency maybe. I made it out that that was our eighth trip to Hamden in in the last three seasons and and we are rightly no longer seeing getting to Hamden just as an achievement which would have been the case under the past few managers. The, The desire to see this team take the next step and the failure of this team to take the next step, it kind of makes me feel that this could be like a a bit of an end of an era. It had a little bit of a feel about that, but I suppose a lot depends on what happens in the summer window. I, I honestly, I feel like we've been here before. Um, we're in recent seasons. It feels like we've never been too far away from a a potential crisis. You know, just the the verge of a of the fans tipping into McInnes out um, but we then get a little run going uh, last season it was fairly similar after the Motherwell capitulation we then went unbeaten after the uh, after the break after the what do you call it the split um, and generally I think we've been very good or very effective anyway at um, bouncing back with some solid victories even if you think about the the Motherwell 3-0 League Cup game last September or whenever it was when we then had to go back to Fair Park a few days later and we won 1-0 we just ground it out uh, in McKenna's first start I think I think we'll win on Sunday um, because generally that's what we do under McKenna's in this type of game uh, so you know we're we're a couple of wins, a couple of good results away from, um, you know, just in my case anyway, just chalking this off as a as a bad result, and we'll get over it. I mean, Richard, am I am I being unfair to say that this uh, this is echoes the kind of the dying days of Jimmy Calderwood? There's been elements of the side this season in terms of their stuffiness, in terms of their lack of creativity, which have been far more like Calderwood Calderwood's time here than. At any other point during the Derek McInnes reign, and it remains to be seen whether this is because it's part of you know it's the beginning of an evolution to a younger team, a more callow team, one with a bit more. We've spoken about this before, one with a bit more steel about it, which is capable of going and picking up results in Glasgow sometimes, um, or 
whether it is just going to be a slow erosion of the quality we've had um, in seasons past when we lose players like Shinny, like Kenny McLean, like Johnny Hayes, and we simply are unable to get uh, the quality of player, ready-made player, to replace them. So we have to bring in younger players and try and develop them. As I say, it kind of feels like we're, we're at a genuine crossroads now. But um, but who knows? Derek McInnes might get the Scotland job tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that is a that is a possibility. I saw he was about t- ten ten to one for the odds. Um, if you're if you're a betting man, um, I'm not, so I won't be touching that. Um, so yeah, well, we have we have to get back back to it. No, there's a game this weekend. Um, we are away at Kilmarnock, back to league business. Because um, that's all we have left. Um, now we say it fairly regularly on here, not just us, but football fans in general. Um, Christy, this game now becomes a must-win. Um, a loss makes third place a real stretch for us. Yeah, um, must not lose anyway. Um, I'd probably stop short of a must-win. I'd be satisfied with a draw, given the given how thin the squad is right now. But I think we'll win. I think we'll win. This is the type of game we generally do find something from somewhere, a set piece or what have you, uh, and get through it. I think that's what will happen on Saturday. Well, I obviously, I obviously hope we win, and I hope you're right, uh, Christy, but um, we've still got those players out. We've still got, in fact, there's more play. Well, I guess Graham Shinney comes back in, but we lose Lewis Ferguson. So... We're still very thin in terms of guys who can turn a game, guys who can um, help keep Kilmarnock out. Uh, there's been no real let-up from Kilmarnock either. You can, with, over these last 18, 20 months, you would have thought at some point there would be a drop-off. They've had some pretty heavy defeats along the way. They, they took five or six at Parkhead, took five in the cup replay at Ibrox, but... You know, they, like we have, I suppose, done over the past few years, have been very good at sort of just brushing those defeats off and getting back to picking up points against the other teams. Our record against the other top six teams is actually more or less identical to Kilmarnock, so it's probably no surprise that we're both on an identical points total right now. I agree with Christian that it's a, it's a must-not-lose anyway. But even if we were to lose, it, it, it's still just three points. I think the goal difference is currently two, maybe three worse than Kilmarnock. So it wouldn't be insurmountable, but I think it being the first game of this little run, it would just set the tone for the games to come. I, I, I would fear more if we lost on Saturday. We had a very good, a very good record last year post-split as well, which was, which previously was something that was levelled at McInnes as a criticism. Uh, we need to kind of we need uh, we need to get a repeat of that sort of form. And as you mentioned a few moments ago, Richard, obviously there is a there is a, a hardcore that are in the McKin- in the McInnes out bandwagon. Getting to you no know, the manner of the defeat on Sunday, coupled with perhaps not finishing third this season, would make would make it a really uncomfortable atmosphere around Pataudry, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would. Um, I mean, you know, I'll take I take the ten points. I think we got post split last season. I'll take that again. Um, in fact, no, it was 11, wasn't it? Three wins, two draws. So I'd absolutely take that again. Um, and I, I think it's going to need that sort of response to just calm things down a little bit. Which really, if you were to look at it, if we did finish third, would be a little bit crazy because there's no chance of the board taking action if he finishes third and we've gone out of both cup competitions to Celtic. 
Uh, there's absolutely no chance. I mean, that that is a par performance before you even look at who we've knocked out on the way to the ties against Celtic. Now, obviously, I, like any other Aberdeen fan, are disappointed that we're not above the team currently in second. That's got to be a blow because they are still so far away from being the dominant force in Scottish football. It's crazy. And, you know, we were right on their tails and right on Celtic's tails uh, in January. And that's got to kind of amplify the frustrations that people uh, people are feeling. And, you know, I share a lot of them. I, I just don't see that the board is, is going to even contemplate a change, even if we were to finish fourth or, dare, dare I say, fifth. I think, for me anyway, it's absolutely critical that we get into Europe. I've seen the theory advance that, you know, it might do us more good to play the League Cup games, but the fact is the League Cup games now almost start just as early as those European uh, ties that we would play and do. So there's no benefit there. You lose out in a fair sum of money now, and you just want to be in there. You just want to be having these games. It's something different for the support to get excited about. We would be seeded at least for the first couple of rounds, which can either be a, you know, it's not always the blessing that it, it might seem, but it might allow us to, to get into that third round and just, again, give ourselves a chance. And uh, you, you feel surely one of these years we're, we're going to actually do it, but it seems more distant right now when we haven't actually secured European qualification. And that, again, feeds into the frustration, doesn't it? The fact in years gone by, we would actually have already had a top three place sealed well before now. Yeah, I've re- I've read the same kind of thing where people say that you no, know, maybe a season without it is what is you know would be would be a good thing, and I can't I can't really get on board with that. I mean, I mean, with with all due respect to your kind of your Mortons and your Berwicks and all that, you no, know, I, I don't really want to be in the group, you no, know, playing in the group stages of the Betfred Cup. And even though you're playing in in July against a bunch of farmers from Andorra, again, just to to pull up a red top cliche there, because we know how difficult and how awkward some of these teams can be. It's still, it's something that interests more than just the hardcore 13,000. You know, even for your Siroki Brijags and and your Maribors, we've had good crowds, 18,000, 19,000 for these games. It gets people up off the arse to go to Pataudry way more than a standard league or cup game would at Pataudry. And, you know, that's important, especially in a time when you're finding it so difficult to win silverware. Yeah, and it's also a huge selling point for um, potential signings. We're going to need to overhaul the squad yet again in the summer. It's much. It's a much easier sell to them when... You know, we're okay. Come on, join us. We're we're in Europe. You know, it's a big stage. So I think uh, basically on every level, we want to be involved in Europe, uh, and it's in our hands. You know, if we go and win these games, we'll qualify, no question. So we've got to go do it. And I think, um, although the squad's thin, I think you know history has shown us that. McInnes deserves a bit of faith, a bit of trust um, in terms of his ability to turn things around after a big disappointment. He, he, he does deserve that, there's no question he does but of course it's football isn't it and those commodities are in very short supply and it's not just Aberdeen. True, true and it does feel a bit 
Um, and maybe this is just a social media kind of selection bias thing, but it does feel a bit like with every horrible result, like the Celtic one, the fans' faith in him erodes just a little bit more, or a little bit more goodwill kind of, you know, is withdrawn from the bank. Um, so he, he definitely needs to finish third this season. Um, he, the, I think any less than that, and we're gonna we're gonna go into a preseason with a a real uh, dark cloud over the over the fans. Well, I think that how it works is that once you've made you know once you've mentally decided you want the manager to go, I don't think there's any coming back from that. I don't think you've turned from that position. Whereas of course every true. every poor result is going to turn more and more heads to the position where they want the manager to go. So that's exactly it. Yeah. And on that bright spot, um, we'll, <laughs> we're going to draw this week's podcast to a close. It's it's been a t- it's been a tough one, um, but it's been quite cathartic. I think we've I think we've we've no we've poured some of our hearts out into this one. Um, so uh, it reminds me of thank Richard Hay as always for being on here. Thanks, Richard. Uh, thank you, Martin. I just want to say I lasted longer on here tonight than I did at Hamden on Sunday. <laughs> Good show. Wow, that's been yeah, you did as well. Well done. Um, also, thanks Christy Keenan for coming back on. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Christy. Always a pleasure, and always happy to be we on. Promise, we promise next time we'll have you on after a really, really good victory. You know, last time was the Rangers won one in the first game of the season, and I felt like I spent twenty minutes talking about why Don Ball should have been sent off, <laughs> and uh, it just got deja vu. That's, yeah, that's how we started today as well. You're a, you're a go-to man for Dominic Volcha, that's what it seems to be. Oh, good God, is that yeah. how far I've sunk? So we'll be back next week with another podcast anyway, hopefully reflecting on three points at Rugby Park. So until then, come on you Reds. Come on you Reds.